the show. Great to be with you. Rocking into Lent. I mean, basically. Lord, rock my world this Lent. (laughs) We're just going to rock right into Lent. Rock me while I roll with you, Lord. Just FYI, Deacon Adam does choose the music. (laughs) And it's based on his moods for the day. Disclaimers are good. Happy happy Lent, man. How are you? I love Lent. I love it. Yeah. Welcome to the show, everyone. Paul George, Deacon Adam Conk, Deacon Bear in studio. Great to be with you today. Thanks for listening in to the show on Christ the King Radio or on the podcast, wherever you are. Wonderful to be with you all, and happy first week of Lent. I just love when the Lord is um, up to something special. You got your ashes, boy. Feeling, yeah. Feeling the the ashes on my head. I gave gave some ashes. You gave some ashes. Twice. Yeah, you got ashy. Yeah, I gave the ashes a couple times. Yeah, and uh, people really appreciate it. That's they, awesome. They love the ashes. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, when you when you have a holy season where there's like a mission, a purpose, a theme, which is conversion, mm-hmm. that just speaks to is my heart. Lent like the holiest of seasons. You know how like the church likes to rank, you know, solemnities and feast days and. Well, if I can seasons. nerd out for a second. Yeah. <laughs> You can nerd out outside <laughs> of the nerd out segment, which wow. is normal. Yeah, that's that's normal me. So historically, the division between, let's say, Lent and Easter seasons wasn't so there. So, so here's an example of that that's still around. You know we have to go to um, communion and confession once a year, right? Right. A- at least. Like that's... Like to be a practicing Catholic, that's one of the five precepts, well, two of the five precepts of the church, that we go to communion once a year, we go to confession once a year, and it says during the Easter season. Hmm. So you have to go during that time. But what it means is not what begins on Easter Sunday and ends on Pentecost. What it means is what begins Ash Wednesday and ends on Pentecost. Gotcha. Because historically... Lent and Easter just like mesh together. Well, we we call it Passover time or Paschal time hmm. or the Greek Easter. I mean, Easter just means Passover. Right. So when we talk about Passover, we're talking about passing over from death to life, that mystery. Right. We start to celebrate or let's say participate in that mystery on Ash Wednesday where we're we're starting to put to death like we're entering into the Lord's death. Right. And then we enter into his resurrection that this whole mystery of the Paschal mystery of Easter is celebrated really from Ash Wednesday to Pentecost. And uh, so anyway, the, um, the whole, it, it, that is the holiest season for sure. When you think of it that way. The whole season. The whole season's combined. Right. Right. Because it's really all one big thing. Well, we're just going to celebrate Lent and Easter together anyway. Right? We, we're a Paschal mystery Yeah, people. we're really into that. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but, you know, we talked about last week kind of going into Lent with intention Mm-hmm. You know, I've kind of <clears throat> had that thinking about, okay, like, what am I doing for Lent to to grow, to grow close to the Lord, to increase my 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 spiritual muscles, my you know things that God wants me to work on, you know, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. All that being said, like, if you've found yourself kind of getting into Lent, kind of stumbling and and not finding your <clears throat> your feet yet, it's okay. Like, the, I don't know if you know this, but the church is really big into do overs. Oh yeah. You know, thank God. Redos. Thank God right? for do like, overs. Yeah, you could do over, start over, and and it's okay. Like you know, it's like you don't have to give up on Lent altogether if you started late. Like just be like, oh yeah, okay. Like let me let me enter into the mystery of Lent, 
and in, and into Easter. So like, you know, don't shame yourself or like feel like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, I just, you know, I kind of stumbled into Lent. It, it's okay, but don't use that as an excuse to like just not do Lent all together. You know, funny yeah. story, by the way, I was out to, out to eat years ago, speaking of Passover, and at a Cajun restaurant, you know, so if you're not from Louisiana, you know, it's like seafood and like just, this, you know, lots of like sauces and just, you know, very rich food, right? Seasoned. You know, well seasoned. And I was out to dinner. I was doing a Lent mission in one of the cities in Louisiana, and I was out to dinner with the priest after, and he wasn't in clerics. Like it was just a late night, late. Let's go to dinner because after the mission, you know. So we're we're just hanging out. We order great food, and uh, our server's not doesn't know like we're like religious people from the church or whatever, right? He's just serving, and you know, at the end he comes to get our plates. We have some leftover like French bread on the table and some sauce at the bottom of our plates from what we ordered, you know. Okay, you following me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the guy, the guy, this young guy, he goes, man, bruh. Okay, so those of you from are from Louisiana, that means like... Greetings, sir. Greetings, <laughs> y'all. And he goes, man, bruh, you're not going to do a Passover? And we, like me and priest friend, like looked at each other like Passover, like like we're thinking like religious terms or like what's he even talking about? Like... He goes, man, bro, you're not going to do a Passover? And we like looked at each other and we looked at him like very confused. And we're like, um, excuse me? Like, what do you mean? He goes, man, bro, you take that bread and you pass over your plate like that and you get the sauce. I almost fell out of my chair. That's pretty good. Oh, man. Yeah. In, so, it, in a way, it, it kind of um, kind of fits, I guess. Like. Yeah. Like there's so much grace out there for us that God wants to give us, but we have to pass over. We have to take the <laughs> I, bread of our life. I, I like how you're tying this. In. <laughs> we take the bread of our life and actually dip it into the sauce, right? Like you can't. <laughs> That's what Lynn you got to grab man. hold of that grace, man. Just dip it in <laughs> <laughs> to where it's all off the plate. Get all all the grace. <laughs> okay, um, I actually have. I have you seen this week? What did you say? That is so interesting. Are you for real though. Okay, I'm for real. This article's out, which is hysterical. A friend of mine sent sent me this, not to like, you know, hats off to me, but hats off to me, but I have nothing, I, I don't even belong in the same like arena as this guy. Okay, so I've set up like two couples recently who are getting married. Okay. A, a matchmate. Like you brought them together. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. No, it's not something I do all the time, but like if I like, you know, know people, it was like, oh yeah, I, I'm just a little intentional about it. you guys should meet. Very simple, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of see like their personalities and like, you know, what they're looking for. And you're like, oh, they, they would probably be, you know, compatible. Okay. All that being said, uh, <clears throat> we just celebrated um, Valentine's Day last week. So we did. we're late to the game on it. But uh, Miracle Matchmaker, priest in Spain, helps 270 couples find love, priest, find love, all of them married. No divorces. Wow. Yeah. 270. Yeah. Yeah. Father Fernando, a priest who is a matchmaker for 270 marriages. Uh, he's an Opus Dei priest, chaplain for several residence halls in Spain. He's 67 years old. And couples just come to him, kind of give him like their, like what they're looking for and like their, their personality, like their, their, and he, and he has like other, and he's just like looks at and kind of matches like, and he'll just simply say, you know, he'll reach out to 
one or both of them say, you know, you two should like go get coffee or meet up and it's up to them. And, and it works. <laughs> this is really confirming something I've been thinking about because after having poured through many annulment cases of marriages that didn't work out, it's pretty clear that the time that could have been most effective was dating, like pre-engagement, when you're just initial discernment. Yeah. Right? If that goes well, the marriage will go well. If right. it goes badly, yeah, it's really hard to recover from that. And so I've thought recently, <clears throat> man, the church needs a marriage. I mean, a dating ministry, like a way to to accompany people. But this is what that priest is doing exactly. If like people are coming in and say, "Look, I." I'm looking for someone. I think the Lord's calling me a marriage, and then the pastor can help discern that that matchup. Of course, it's going to work. Yeah, and this is personal. I mean, there's some online dating, some Catholic online dating, and and you know that's fine. People do that, and and it and it has worked. But this is more like I know this person. I know this person, and you really have a more of a, like a mm-hmm. an idea, you know. And so yeah. it's just interesting. He says each applicant submits their information. Um. Their birthday, their age, their name, their height, studies, place of employment, hobbies, virtues, shortcomings, and what they would like in a person their, and their commitment to their faith. And he just kind of has like a note card and then, and then just, you know. This is uh, it. This is exactly yep. what I thought should happen. This, yep. this guy's doing it. Yeah, and he says, you know, if he sees uh, compatibilities between people, he passes along to each candidate and says, hey, you guys – you know, mind if I share your contact information and they may contact each other and go on a date and then boom, man, that's the, really the way it should be. Like it, yeah. in a lot of ways, like back in the day, uh, you know, people were set up by families and friends is like, Oh, I know that like th- there was a real human connection with people, you know, cause at right. the end of the day, that's what we are. I don't know if you know that, right? Humans. Yeah. Humans. And so, yeah, yeah. so much of compatibility comes from, not only just dating, figuring it out, and it's like, oh, we're not compatible, but like people who know you, who know the other person, who who are like, hey, you can, you guys probably are already compatible. Personalities, likes, dislikes. You're different, but you're compatible. You know, like yeah, you know, different things kind of match up. So anyway, I thought it was pretty funny, and it's interesting how how the Lord can work because a lot of these couples were just des- des- desiring the sacrament of marriage, the vocation of it. You know, and they wanted faith to be central in that. Wow. I love it. I think we need to duplicate it. Not a lot of good news happening in the world, and I found some. <laughs> 270 and oh, right? Like as far as divorces go. So it right. worked out 270 times. Yeah. 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 <clears> he's, so helped, he's helped 500 couples find love. 270 have gotten married so far. Wow. Yeah. He's getting it done. You yeah. know, to me, that's the value of. As young as we can be in life, I guess, to see that people's objective opinions about us are very valuable. Um, Mm. In the spiritual life, this is really important. I mean, there's this old, very old um, principle in the spiritual life that people know you better than you know yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you get people's input about you, what you should be doing in life, where that's Christianity for 2,000 years has been saying that's really important for right. the spiritual life, for, for discerning God's will, because mm-hmm. we are way too close to ourselves to see what other people see very easily. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's okay. Like, there's nothing inadequate about it. Like, that's how God designed it. Right. No, it is how God designed it. I mean, I have, you know, I have friends that are single, or, you know, as my kids are getting older, 
right? Like I, I know a lot about their personalities, their likes, their dislikes, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, I know their note card, right? Like just because I'm, I'm their dad, right? Like I can probably be pretty good at like finding someone that's compatible with them. And then they can be like, Hey, go on a date. If I can be vulnerable for a second here. Yeah. I have a lot of kids. You do? Nine. Mm-hmm. And let's say one of them was like, you know, I just, I want to find the right person. And, and, and if I knew it was a possibility that Paul George could help them find a spouse, mm-hmm. I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. Yeah, or you could because you know a lot about them. That's true. But yeah. like, like we, and here's what I love about this is that uh, this priest, and this is for all of us, it, in a sense, is we, we're in Lent, is he is intentional with this information. Mm-hmm. Like he's moving people in a direction. Right. Oh, you feel called to marriage. Well, let's let's actually take steps towards that. Here's your information. Here's this. Oh, now go on a date. And he's and he's out. Like he's not going on dates with these people, right? Right, like, right, right. Like, but he's moving people forward into their vocation, right? Mm-hmm. And they're being intentional and he's being intentional, right? This is the spiritual life. I I really like we we don't grow without intentionality in the mm-hmm. spiritual life. Intentionality with our prayer, with growing in virtue, with growing in disciplines. Are we always great at it? No. But like to be intentional about it. In Lent, like how do I want to grow? God, what do you want to do in my life? God, what are you trying to do? Like, and how can I submit that? Here, I'm going to submit my information on a card. God, this is mm-hmm. what I want, desire, and need. And Lord, I'm going to trust that you're going to lead me forward. Well, and it takes a trust that we are, we are probably going to be the worst judges as to what needs to change in our spiritual life. What I mean by that is we're so close to it. And if we understood what needed to change, we would have changed it already, right? So there's this reality to Lent where I have to get more input than what I think mm-hmm. needs to change about me. And that could come in many forms, but one that's timeless is reading the saints, yeah. reading their advice, their spiritual advice, because they speak to our experiences spiritually. And they they know how to do it. Yep. They know how to be saints, right? And so... Um, well, and they've been through the same things we've been through. Right. You know, we often read about the saints at the end of their life when they were like saintly, right? Mm-hmm. But they grew into that. You know, they went through conversion right. moments. They went through, obviously, moments of suffering, but like just real life, like real life, just like we do. Totally. And we often see the saints as unapproachable or... I can't do that. And that that's a myth. Like that is the devil speaking lies. Like we're, we can all be on that path. We're not there yet. Like, you know, but hopefully by the end of my life, I'm closer to it than I am now. Well, the reality of sainthood is actually quite simple. God loves us into holiness. So the first principle of being a saint is you just let God love you. Mm. Get out of the way and let God love you. And all the saints got, got that. The second thing is... My part to play in this relationship with God is simply conversion. Hmm. So all of the saints were masters at intentional conversion. Hmm. When they would see something in themselves that needed to change, a behavior or a desire or whatever, they became masters at speaking with God about it and letting God heal and change them. Right. And by masters, I don't mean that they were experts in like a psychological sense. I mean, they were in the habit of every day 
letting God direct them into conversion and then letting it change. Right. They were willing to lay down their life every day. This is exactly what the Lord tells the disciples to, unless you're willing to lay down your life and carry your cross every day, you can't be my disciples. So that really is it. That's the holy life of a saint is simply letting God love me and becoming a master at conversion, that I have an intentional conversion of my life every day. So for a holy season of Lent, we can, we can all practice being saints, right? Like let God reveal to us what needs to change, but we need input from others in our life, from, from the saints that have gone before us, as to what actually needs to change in me. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm excited about this holy season of Lent because I, I have some concrete things that have been revealed to me. Yeah, you do. That need to change. Yeah, you better. Yeah. Yeah. Whether I like it or not, like it's been revealed to me, these things need to change. You, you uh, are not excelling at these aspects of Christianity. <laughs> so I'm excited because I get to change some stuff. Right. Okay. I got big, big news when we come back. And we're jumping a little bit more into Lent. We'll be right back. Healthcare that works better and costs less seems like an oxymoron, right? Take a minute and check out our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare. Members say that faith-based health sharing is a much better fit than insurance, all while costing less. Prices start at $384 a month for families. Call now to see how much you can save. 844-387-8533. That's 844-387-8533. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Paul George Deacon Bear in studio. Yeah. So big news. It's no longer a secret. It's out, at least in my office it is. Uh, (laughs) Holy Grit, the book, finally out. Physical copies, the whole thing. You got a copy of it. I did. And people can get it. They can actually get it, physically get it, right? So if you order it on Amazon, uh, maybe it's shipping a little bit later, or Ave Maria Press, but... If you just go to holygrit.org, you click buy the book, and you can buy the book. But here's the fun thing is that uh, because the show, you can get a 15% off. For real? Yeah, with a code GROUPGRIT, all caps. Group, group GRIT. Group GRIT, all caps. G-R-O-U-P-G-R-I-T. This could be the first, like... 15% off uh, the publisher. Uh, so anyway. The first... Uh, on the website. Benefit we give our listeners like that. That's a good trend. I yeah. Think. I mean, I guess see one who's listening, who's interested. But the, the book's for men. It's awesome. Ladies, buy it for your husbands, your sons, your aunts and uncles. Your uncles and aunts, buy it for your uncles. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> uh, you can also do a group study with it. So on the website is a free facilitator's guide. So if you want to get a group of men together, read the book each chapter and then have a, you know, like a week group study with it. You can do that. I'd like to give a shout out to any women. Can you, all right, if you're a listener right now and you're a woman, can you please get this book and read it? I want to hear what it does to your female heart. Cause like, I know what it does to me after reading the book in, in my masculine heart, like to awaken that mm-hmm. holy grit within me. And I wonder what it would do to women who read it where, well, one, do you understand men better? Mm. Two, do you kind of 
Like, how does it impact you? You know, I'd well, I'll tell you this: that. my wife Gretchen's reading it right now, mm-hmm. which is weird. You know, and I was asking, I was like, "You're reading a book that I wrote, and I live with you, you know, and I know like I'm not perfect." But she wasn't a part of the book writing, right? So like, she's getting the book just like anyone else. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all new information. Two, what she's saying is that she's learning one a lot about men, and it's really good mm-hmm. because she's like, re- but she's also like, each chapter has a saint, so she's like, I had no idea about that saint and that story and that quote, and that was really amazing. So like there's two things going on, like she's being impacted by the saint story and then impacted by how that relates to men and their, you know, victories and struggles in life. That's interesting to me. Yeah, I can imagine because women, this is a shocker, women need men and men need women. Yeah, we complement each other. And we need each other, Yeah, right? Like a world without women is a... not good in the world without men is not good and i know we don't always think that way we're like ah it's frustrating it's you know like men are crazy they're so stupid and egotistical and it's like yeah yeah we are right true but like in the best version of ourselves on each end it's like we really complement each other and love each other so all that being said well um, and the the gift to a a woman's heart i think that this book could be based on what you're just saying about gretchen i didn't think about this till you just said it but to see these men saints in the gift of their masculinity. Right. Which is not often how they're portrayed necessarily. or You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not often how men are portrayed in society. So yeah. you see a very virtuous man and how they lived in their conversion, and you're like, that's beautiful. That's, that's awesome. And women need that. They need holy men, right? Yeah. And these saints are holy men. Yeah. And so guys get the book, women get the book. I mean, anyway, it's fun. It's a, it's a really, you know, I'm excited about just what, what it can do. But anyway, go to holygrit.org book go to all caps group grit for discount grit, see the discount okay do you have uh, a weird catholic stuff what yep that's so weird can't believe we're doing this again catholics are the weirdest people you're the first you're the second you weirdo weird catholic stuff i have no idea where you're going today well, this is pretty neato, and it comes... Uh, weirdo or neato? Weirdo and neato, but it is weird for non-Catholics, let's say, but it makes total sense to Catholics. But um, this is kind of in the area of what was your neck of the woods, which is Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. You still used have, to live still there. Still family there. Shout out to my mom and, and uh, sister, brother-in-law, uh, who, and nieces and nephews who live in North Georgia, nice. north, north of Atlanta. North of Atlanta. Well, in the Atlanta airport, which is a huge airport, mm-hmm. um, there's now a 24-7 Eucharistic chapel. Really? In the airport. In the airport. And it's making a little news. Um, I got to look that up. Yes. and Fortunately, I don't fly through Atlanta much because I, f- I fly an airline that connects through Houston. But some in Atlanta. Yeah. Well, what's weird about this... Well, first of all, that Catholics do an adoration chapel. If you, if you're not Catholic, this seems really weird. Um, Check that, this out. I, I just found it. Yeah. Wow. There's three hundred thousand passengers flying through Atlanta Airport a day. Yeah. And sixty four thousand employees at any given time. That's a lot. Wow. Yeah. I mean, three hundred thousand. That's a city. That's bigger than the city we live in, mm-hmm. right? Every day. Every day. So having a chapel at an airport is not, a chapel in general is not new or maybe even strange to some people because 
we've seen those, and they're they're interdenominational chapels. You just go in; it's, it's sort of like a quiet space, but you right. don't know if someone is praying to like you know Buddha or. Well, that's the thing uh, is that I think most people's impression of a chapel or even a church is that it's a place where a worship service happens, right? So, like if you walk by and you see people talking or people praying or even people singing, that's not weird. But the idea, and this is the weird things Catholics do, of an adoration chapel is uniquely Catholic and weird, is that we would literally just go sit and pray with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, and that's the purpose of it. So it's not to hear a sermon, it's not to sing songs, it's not to um, you know, do whatever a worship service might be, but the whole point is to have a quiet rest with the Lord. It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And I think I can imagine people walking around the airport seeing people posturing, posturing themselves towards the tabernacle, being quiet, and say, that's, that's odd. Right? Let's like, think about it. You're not Catholic, you're not Christian even. Maybe you're coming from Cambodia or somewhere. You walk in and you just see somebody sitting, resting towards this box, and you think, what is going on? Hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, what makes it very unique is that, you know, we believe in the Eucharist, Jesus is fully present in the Adoration Chapel, right? So, Mm -hmm. like, Jesus is present, veiled in a unique way, but, like, his presence is fully there. The risen Christ is there. And I remember years and years ago, we did a adoration and worship night. Eucharistic adoration, prayerful music, you know, there's a couple thousand people there at an Adore night. And the production crew that was doing the sound and whatnot um, for for this venue weren't Catholic, but Christian, like, you know, practicing, like, you know, like into their faith. And the guy walks into the room and where Eucharistic adorations happen. And he said he was just hit with like, he's like, I don't know what that is, but whatever that is, is different. I feel mm-hmm. a peace. I feel like uh, uh, the spirit of God, and there's something very different about what I'm experiencing and seeing. He didn't have words for it because he didn't have the 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 verbiage or the semantics to describe Eucharistic adoration mm-hmm. or you know the Eucharist, the real presence. Like he didn't have any background to that. He just knew whatever that is is very unique, and something is happening. Yeah, and that's a weird experience. Right. Right? I mean, just think about that. I know as Catholics we take this for granted that we all know who Jesus is in the Blessed Sacrament. But when you don't, like that experience exactly, there's this very strange experience of like, I don't know what's going on, Hmm. but I am captivated. And uh, not everyone has that experience. Some people think we're idol worshipers and everything else. But when people come to the Lord with an open heart or with a real relationship with Him, and without, um, you know, a chip on their shoulder or like some kind of wound or hurt that would keep them from loving the Lord in the Eucharist, 100% of the time, our Lord draws people to himself in the Blessed Sacrament. Hmm. So I think we have a great opportunity to be really weird Catholics when we fly through Atlanta. Everyone listening right now, at some point in the next 10 years, is going to fly through Atlanta. Probably. Go to the chapel. Be weird. Yeah. You know? No, I just sit there with, with like in the presence of the Lord. Like, yeah. how, how cool is that? Like, I mean, you can go sit down in the waiting area and get on your phone for like two hours. You could do that, or you can go just 
be with the Lord and have a life-changing experience right there in the middle of this very busy airport. Yeah, I got to find out what terminal it's in next time I'm going through there. But, you know, 300,000 people a day. That's pretty great. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty neato. That's wild. It reminds me of um, one of the best lints I ever had was uh, I took the book Visits to the Blessed Sacrament by St. Alphonsus Liguori. Mm-hmm. And he he literally maps out 30 meditations with intended to be done in the presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament um, daily. So it's like a 30-day So it's a daily meditation exercise. for Lent? Well, just for the Blessed Sacrament. For the Blessed Sacrament, but you used it during Lent. I used it during Lent. It okay. was one of the most fruitful Lents ever for me um, because I had the wisdom of this saint guide me in my relationship with Jesus to places I would never know to go to, mm. right? Because he's, he's someone who's been down that road, who's had this union with the Lord that is, is uh, so rich and deep, who was also guided by other saints. Anyway, so that book, Visits to the Blessed Sacrament, uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori, totally doable. I mean, the meditations take five to ten minutes when you're in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, but you could meditate on what they bring up for the whole hour. Yeah. But uh, as far as actual reading, five minutes. Um, but that uh, what the Lord offers us in the Blessed Sacrament, in the Holy Eucharist, is weird in the sense of no, no one else, nowhere else on earth do you find what's offered in an adoration chapel. Like nowhere else. Right. Right. I'm using a, a daily devotional by Father John Burns. It's new. It's called Return, and it is mm-hmm. an actual daily reflection during Lent and it's just good to focus. But here's the thing, like if you don't know anything to do during Lent, pray and go to adoration. Like just yeah. be be with Jesus. Right? Like yeah. like the most fruitful thing you can do is to be in the presence of God. Right? Through holy mass, through adoration, through that intentionality. And if you do have an adoration chapel in your church or near you in a city or at your airport or at your <laughs> airport, stop and be with Jesus. You know, like mm-hmm. just be be with him, you know, but the, having that that, you know, it's like you're not. Yeah, it's like just, you know, when you just enjoy being in the presence of someone mm-hmm. and you don't even necessarily need to talk. Maybe you've gotten all your talking done. Like, Have you ever been on a date with your wife and you just had a great date and you all talked and connected, you got home, the kids were sleeping and you just sat on the couch together, just in, in the presence of each other. It's just like, mm-hmm. ah, this is just is like calm and peaceful and quiet and i really like you i like being in your presence right yeah that's not that's not idol worship no that's just love right yeah and and the same thing as the eucharist adoration like we may talk and and you get to the point where it's like i have nothing more to say i just want to be in your presence so that's the beauty of it the beauty and the opportunity, we need to do a Passover. We need to take our bread. <laughs> like, this grace is available to us. My bro. Jesus literally came and died on a cross and rose again so that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. He wouldn't be a distant God anymore. He wouldn't be someone who's on a mountaintop. That's the only way we can get to him. He came down from the mountaintop to the valley of this earth so that he could be with us. Mm. And that's the sauce on the plate. That's that's available to us, but we have to take our little piece of bread and uh, sop it up and sop it up. Got to sop Passover, sop that up. You know, I, th- I think one of the hindrances to that for us is we're just so busy. You know, like um, 
for 2,000 years of Christian history, when lay people are serious about the spiritual life, it's, it was not uncommon to visit the Blessed Sacrament every day because you lived kind of near the church. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, not, it's not like necessarily making a holy hour every day. That's not what would happen. But just five minutes, I'll pop in, say hello to the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, express gratitude for this great gift. Mm-hmm. I'm just taking my bread and sopping it on the plate a Amen. little bit. That's awesome. And then I'm going to go home. This is not unusual to Christian life. Like yeah, This well, has been for thousand, you know, 2,000 years. Yeah, we don't have to overcomplicate practice. it. Yeah. Right. Okay, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Paying too much for health care and supporting services you don't believe in? Our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare, has prices that are 60% less than the nation's average cost of health care. Join the nation's leading healthcare sharing ministry built by people of faith for people of faith, saving money through ethical and affordable healthcare. Call now to see how much you can save at 844-387-8533. That's Solidarity HealthShare, 844-387-8533. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you, Paul George, Deacon Adam Conk. We're definitely rocking into Lent. Rock with us, I mean, your mood today is out of control. (laughs) But we are. We're rocking into Lent. We're just going right into it. It's great. Thanks for being a part of the show, wherever you are, on the podcast, on the radio. Um, Exciting things happening because it's Lent and Easter all mixed together. We finished with Mardi Gras, you know, and now it's just time to, to... Sop it all up with Jesus. <laughs> That's right. Do a Passover. Do a Passover. You, you like that, huh? I do. It's I wish you would could have been there at the dinner table because I know <laughs> that would have been a great moment for you. You know, man, bro, you gonna do a Passover? You know, I actually first learned that not from Cajuns but from Italians. I don't know if you know about this, but like it's it's standard procedure that when you're eating a pasta. I mean, you've been to Italy, so you must have seen this. But when you're eating a pasta or something with a sauce, and uh, you're done. <clears throat> you're supposed to take a bit of bread. They're, they have a word for it. It's not Passover, but I can't remember what it is. But they have a word for this. It's so important to their culture. You're supposed to take bread and sop up all the sauce because you're not supposed to leave any of that sauce on the plate. It's too good. The sauce is too good. I can't remember the Italian word. I and mean, the sauce is what makes the dish. Right. You know, like if you have a grilled chicken or whatever, you just ate it plain, but that sauce on top, you know, whatever it is, you know? So anyway, you know, it's interesting that we... We come into Lent, and the first gospel reading in Lent is Jesus in the desert. Mm-hmm. Boom. Like, we go right into Jesus being tempted by the devil, right? He's led into the desert. J- Jesus spends 40 days in the desert. Hey, hey, Lent, right? This is what we're doing. We're kind of moving intentionally. In the de- he didn't stumble into the desert. He was led in the desert. The Spirit of God led him into the desert to grow spiritually. Right to mm-hmm. to grow spiritual muscles, disciplines, virtues. Right? How does he do that? He puts on boxing gloves and fights the devil. You know, so he's praying, he's obviously fasting, and he's being tempted in that. Right? Yeah, like, and winning. And winning. <laughs> right? So we approach that with intentionality, but at the same time, like we have to understand, like there's a spiritual battle at stake for our hearts and our souls. Right? Mm-hmm. And this is modeled. 
in this gospel reading where Jesus faces the devil. This isn't like, oh, hey, we're going to just kind of, this is like a pretend scene that we want to teach people from. This is a scenario that could happen in your life, right? This is an actual reality that Jesus experienced on earth is a temptation from the devil to what? To like give up all these things. But what was the devil after ultimately to steal his identity of who he was as the son of God. Mm-hmm. And if he could convince him that, you know, he, he didn't have a relationship with God or that wasn't the most important thing or his identity as God's son wasn't important or, or meaningful, that he could distract him from who he was, created the image and likeness of God, then the devil would have won. Because there's such a connection between identity and mission. Right. Who I am, loved by God, I'm also sent by God. And the way to destroy the mission of Jesus is to destroy his identity. And um, that's what happened in Adam and Eve. They had, a, they had a mission. They had an identity. And it was thwarted by his temptations. The new Adam gets the same temptations, but with greater intensity. But he wins. Right, right. He wins. But like, you know, we could look at that and say, well, that, you know, that's an interesting story. But the reality is that the the enemy comes after us. Mm-hmm. And what does he come after? What does the enemy come after us? Our identity. Mm-hmm. Who we are as God's sons and daughters, right? He wants to convince us that we're, God doesn't love us. We don't belong to God. And that we're not, we're not adopted into God's family. As his loving children. Yep. So I'm not a, you know, I'm not a son of God. I can live in my shame and my doubt and my sin. And, and you're not a daughter of God, not you, but like people listening. And, and you're not important, love, beautiful, and, and whatever it is. Distract you from that, and then we just live distant from God. We live in shame. We live in our sin. We live in our failure. We live in our regret. We live in all these things. And that's exactly where the enemy wants us. Yep, because that renders us useless to the kingdom of God. Our mission can't happen because we no longer know who we are mm-hmm. and what our purpose is in this world. And uh, that is exactly the tactic of the devil. Yeah, and it could be just, you know, mediocrity, apathy, just living in, in sort of this glossed over a little bit over our life of shame and doubt. Maybe, we, you know, again, we stumbled into Lent and we've already given up. You know, we just kind of live in this sort of spiritual failure. Yep. Right? Instead of like the grace of God can move us out of all those things. Yes, we're going to fail. Yeah, we're going to be imperfect. No, we're not going to have the perfect Lent. That's not the point. The point is that we understand our identity. So mm-hmm. Jesus comes out of the desert not less convinced of his identity, more convinced. When you brought up something really important at the beginning of this, when you're talking about Jesus growing spiritually— that's really important, I think, to, to capture what Lent's about for us. Because, I mean, at, at first glance, you could say, how could you say that Jesus could grow at all, right? Isn't he perfect? Isn't he the Son of God? Mm-hmm. Well, it is human to grow. And yes, Jesus is a divine person. But being fully human and having that full human nature, he really did learn things. Yep. <clears throat> he grew physically, like bodily. Mm-hmm. He also grew spiritually and psychologically, just like all of us do. And that's not something wrong with him. It's not because there's an inadequacy in his human nature. 
Right. But because that's what it means to be human is to grow and go through these stages of growth and development. Mm-hmm. There, in other words, there was a time where he was ready for his public ministry that came from that battle in the desert. Mm-hmm. That he was at the point of growth that the Father needed him to be at as a man, bodily, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, that it was the right time to then leave the desert and go into his three-year public ministry. And there's nothing wrong with Jesus from saying that. A lot of our problems, and so I think it's so important, is that we think what's in our way is where we're inadequate and where we failed. Mm -hmm. It's not. Mm. What's in our way is our lack of growth, that we're not willing to grow and focus on that. That's what gets us stuck. That is what, what gets us stuck. Yeah. And so to be like the Lord, we can't imitate his perfection. Like we can't imitate mm. his sinlessness. We can imitate the growth he experienced at certain points of his life that prepared him for the next stage of his life. That the Father had him growing at certain points. And he has us growing at certain points. Within that identity, my Father who loves me, right. I'm at a point of growth right now, right. just like Jesus was in the desert. Right. That I need to embrace and I need to ex- I need to do battle with it. I need to actually engage in it and not run away from it. No, actually doing a spiritual battle helps us grow. Like fighting the devil and the enemy, the temptations. You know, this is why we we pray, fast, and alms give, right? Like we make sacrifices and we we enter into that because we grow through it, right? Mm-hmm. Where does God want us to end up at the end of Lent closer to him? More reminded of and more convinced of who we are as his sons and daughters, you know, divine filiation. We are, you know, adopted. We, we have his name. He lives in our heart. Like we're his, you know, he protects us, uh, and guides us and helps us to fight the spiritual battle with grace. And when we fail, get up, we get punched in the nose. Like his grace is there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, this is the beauty of the spiritual life. It's not easy. You know, like we talk about that. This is why, you know, I wrote the book, holy grit, like just this idea that yes, God through his grace is calling us to live this life of holiness. And yet grit has a huge role to play in that because we have to grow in disciplines and virtues and toughness. And yet in it all, like, like God's the one that helps us His grace. Yep. Well, and one of the uh, saints you write on in the book is St. Augustine. And I think you know, so he's he's called the doctor of grace because mm-hmm. he wrote so much about the life of grace and or the action of God's grace in our life. Like he thought deeply, meditate on it, and he became really still to this day the primary teacher of how all this works, like how God moves in our life, how he makes us saints, how he makes us holy. Mm-hmm. He's his wisdom. A lot of that came from his personal experience of running from that grace for so long. And then seeing the difference, the difference of letting God work in his life where yep. he hadn't. And so it's both academic knowledge, but it's academic knowledge that springs from a personal experience. And he said, in commenting on grace, and I think this is really important when it comes to Lent and all these things we were just talking about, <clears throat> but he said, when we turn to the Lord wholeheartedly, when we finally accept the lesson of growth, to put it, to paraphrase it, when we finally do battle with the things God wants us doing battle with, when we're doing the hard things, we're finally living our life of Christianity in such a way that we're right where the Father wants us. Mm -hmm. All those times we weren't in the past, all those times we didn't live up to that, all those times we dropped the ball, all those times we were inadequate, don't matter. 
This is St. Augustine. It's a really important teaching that I can be as holy today if I'm willing to do those battles that God wants me to do mm-hmm. as if I've been doing it my whole life. Right. As if I was five years old doing it. In fact, St. Augustine goes more and he says, actually, God who brings great good out of, out of uh, evil and sin has something for me right now that if I engage in it will make me holier than if I had been faithful my whole life, mm. which is wild to think, right? Right. Like God has given me a challenge, a desert, an experience with, with the devil, with the enemy, an experience, whatever, that if I really give my heart to it and don't run from it, I will be a holier saint than if I had been faithful my whole life. Amen. That's okay. wild. Okay, let's, how about a six-pack of questions? Question. Lenten six-pack. Oh, really? Must have got to. Oh, you could do what you want. All right, so first question. Um, I know you've, you've preached on this gospel a lot. Like you've shared this desert experience because yeah. it's so profound. Identity. I want to I hear about the first time you had a profound like, experience with this gospel. With like, this specific gospel? Yep, with this specific passage. Like this, the first time it like, hit you in mm. the mouth, you know? Mm. Mm. Tell me about that. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think it's been, you know, it's <clears throat> so right before this is the baptism of Jesus, right? Like, you know, where, where God speaks in him, you're, you're my beloved son, whom I will please. So when I read this gospel reading, I usually read it that part as well. Like the, the whole story of his identity being reaffirmed, who he is, and then he's being led into the desert to to really just let that sink in, fight spiritual battle, you know, and, and, you know, be, you know, moved into his mission, like you were talking about, you know, identity and mission go together. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's been, a, you know, over time unpacking it, I think I've gotten more okay with the spiritual battle part over the years. Like, yeah, that's, that's probably true. It is true and it's real. And like, I need to engage in that. You know, so it was really at first just kind of sitting with the identity piece. But like the spiritual battle piece really goes into that. Like you can't separate that. Like because the reality is like we're tempted. The devil's after us. Mediocrity is real. Apathy, sin, all those things. Question number two. So spiritual battle and warfare has certainly been around for a long time in the church. Like it's always been uh, front and center. In men's ministry over the past few decades, a mm-hmm. couple decades, um, the emphasis on like going to battle has certainly been there too. Mm-hmm. Like we haven't lacked that call. My question to you is what, what are the dangers, let's say, in like wanting to fight so much? Because men want to fight. Mm-hmm. There's something about us when we're fighting the wrong things or fighting the things that seem easier than like the things in us and the healing we need mm-hmm. that we become, I don't know, I don't want to use it. Well, something happens in us where we get distracted on what, where the fight really is. Yeah. Can you speak into that? Well, I mean, really you got to discern like, Lord, what battles you want me to fight? Not only for my own heart, but in the world. At the same time, like we got to rely on God's grace. It's got to be spirit led because like, you know, we, we got to also be fighting out of love, you know, and mm-hmm. out of, out of virtue. You know, it's nothing like seeing like an angry Christian. You're just like, yeah, those two things don't go together. And I'm not talking about righteous anger. I'm just talking about like just rage and anger and fury. It's like, yeah, is Jesus leading you here in this, you know, kind of fight, you know? And there's a lot of battles to fight out there, spiritual battles, you know, battles for like good things 
and we should be passionate about those missional things. But all with Christ leading us, all in love and and virtue, so that you know the gospel at the same time is being lived and preached. You know, I want people to be able to notice there's a difference about the way I live, my countenance, my things, my actions, even to people that I don't like. Like just you know, during leading up to Lent, you know, we hear those readings like, "Love your enemies." love them right mm-hmm. like okay like that's a spiritual battle right there and i got to do that in love you know that's awesome all right question number three <clears throat> um so we mentioned the importance of identity and can you can you kind of run through these temptations and how they speak to identity uh specifically because you said how it's all about identity so can you flesh that out a little bit yeah i do it actually in the book it's interesting you bring it up uh I talk about the four b's and then i add a fifth b in another chapter those bees summarize the spiritual battles for men, mm-hmm. and I don't want to give them all away. <laughs> you know, read the book because it, it, there, there's it's more dense to kind of read about them than to talk about them. But mm-hmm. like, you know, the, those there are specific battles that we all face that that the the enemy attacks us in and comes after us. You know, and it could be in our pride and our ego, in our sexuality, in our mind, and you know, and our money and our family and all these different arenas, you know, we, we experience this. What do we do with that? Like we, we gotta like face the battle, but yet with grace, Jesus is fighting the battle for us. So one of the things that he does prove to us in the devil is that he wins right Mm -hmm. in the battle and that he's the one that fights. So it's Christ in me. That's the hope of glory. It's not, it's not me. That's the hope of glory. It's Christ in me. So Jesus, through his grace, is helping me face each thing, and i got to believe that that grace is sufficient, as the Scripture says. Question number four. I'm going to go out on a limb because I don't know the answer to this. You like limbs. You, you lived in Phoenix for a bit mm-hmm. where there's some deserts. So I'm going to go out on a limb. Do it. Um, have you prayed in the desert, hmm. and what was that like? Well, I mean, yeah, technically I've prayed in the <laughs> desert. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. You know, there is a sense of like... Things being dead and dry, there's not much life in the desert, mm-hmm. right? And then when you do find life, it is it is like exhilarating, like this cactus is living in the midst of no rain. So you just start no, staring at the cactus. Like, yeah, you're just like, wow, there's life in the middle of the desert. And so it does kind of give you this imagery of like everything that needs to die, you know? Wow. And then like what is like, what what can live in here? It's only things that can survive. Like without water, without it's it's pre- yeah. The imagery of the desert is real. Wow, that's awesome. All right, question number five. You mentioned um, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Of course, these are the three pillars of Lent. Um, what can you give some advice on? Like, how do we do those things in such a way that they survive Lent? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, this should be year round. Yeah. Uh, there's a way to do it that makes us. It improves our life year round. You see what I'm getting at. Yeah. So, what? How, how can you make some kind of steps in prayer, fasting, almsgiving this Lent that survives Easter? They should, and like these should be rhythms of our life year round. We should tithe and give year round. We should <clears throat> fast and, you know, uh, deny ourselves, you know, things year round just to like not be attached to things, right? <laughs> and uh, be driven by things. Uh, and obviously a rhythm of prayer. So if you build those in like just small increments through Lent, it builds a habit in. You know, am I going to have a consistent 
place and time to pray every day and length of that time. And I'm just going to do that consistently. We do things consistently. They kind of build in a rhythm. You know, I'm going to give and, and to what? And, and, you know, and then I'm going to fast. I'm going to deny myself. And what you're going to find is like, I, you're not going to find that you build those disciplines and you feel miserable. You actually begin to feel like more alive and fulfilled and purposeful, right? And close mm. to God. The hard part is getting through sort of that first part of like, this is all new to me. You know, this is hard. Like this feels uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Love it. All right, question six. This could be a book, but um, I guess what's, what's the quick answer to this? We mentioned men needed women, women needed men. What is, in a quick answer way, that, that need? What do men need from women, and what do women need from men um, to grow spiritually? Hmm. I, th I think, you know, I mean, we could talk, do a whole show on this. Right. I think the most important thing it, where I see amazing fruit, and yet it, the flip side of that is I see amazing, like, rupture. Is like, if men and women, in true authentic love, whether it be in friendship or in marriage, remind each other who they are in their identity as God's sons and daughters affirm their identity as God's sons and daughters. They're good. They're amazing. They're holy. They have what it takes. They're beautiful. And that speaks more than shaming someone, than mm -hmm. destroying who they are. And, and this is what you see, the fight between men and women. It's like we attack identity. We attack the other's identity because of pride or hate or hurt uh, or fear. And so then we just come after the other, right? I've been meeting with a lot of men who are struggling in their marriages and, and the, the wife is attacking his identity and she's, he's attacking her identity and they're just pushing each other further apart. And they're afraid actually, if they actually start affirming in love the other's identity, that uh, that vulnerability actually might push them further away. And I'm like, no, it's just the opposite. It'll bring you closer together. But you have to get rid of your own pride and ego and hurt and move into that vulnerability with the other. Wow. Yeah. That's a great quick answer. Yeah. Good well, job. I've been dealing a lot with people, you know, I get a <laughs> lot of, and it's good because people are working through their stuff. So anyway, um, thanks everyone for being a part of the show. Listen, go to holygrit.org. It's really easy. Click buy the book. You can get it uh, group rate uh, with group grit, group grit. That's what it is. All group caps. Grit. Yeah. It's fun. Uh, the book's great, but <laughs> do a book study with it, buy it, read it. And uh, thanks for being a part of the show on the podcast or on the radio. Um, Deacon Bear and I really appreciate you being a part of the show, and we'll be back next week. God bless. God bless.